And I'm finding as I'm reading and as I'm studying this that I'm beginning to recognize that um, my prayer life is actually quite weak. And I pray for too much of the temporal things and not enough of the eternal things. But with that, Seamus has already read from chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I want to highlight uh, the last couple verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able, who's him, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, because that's Christ who lives within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Earlier in verse 14, actually in verse uh, uh, 16, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you. So Paul's saying, praying, God, out of, out of the riches of your glory, out of... And, and his riches are unfathomable. Out of that would you answer my prayer? And a little later, he's going to say, Lord, I pray that they would know what they cannot know. And we'll look at that earlier, later. A number of years ago, I was uh, probably, I was still in university. I probably was home for the summer. I don't remember the timeline completely, but had to be in my early 20s. Um, I went to went to church service with my dad and mom. Uh, I actually was sat in an adult Sunday school class, and my dad was sitting to the right of me. Uh, I, that's all I remember. I don't remember who was teaching. I don't remember what the topic was, but I do remember somebody said, um, someone made a comment and said um, something to the effect, ask the question, can you think of a, a, a miracle that you've seen Jesus do or God do or a prayer that God had answered, something to that effect? And I still remember this clearly. George Friesen Sr. was his name. He's no longer alive. He's, in the, he's with the Lord. He, he, he looked at my dad and said, that's the greatest miracle I've, I've ever witnessed. And what he was referring to was that when I was 19, uh, it was the July of 1984, um, I was up in northern Alberta at David Thompson Bible Camp. I was a counselor for two weeks. And uh, I got a phone call on a, at breakfast. I was at the table with my, counsel, my, my kids that were in my cabin. And I got a phone call. Somebody says, somebody's on the phone. I went to, I think the phone was in the kitchen. I walk over to the kitchen, pick up the phone. It was my mom. And my mom says, Dad has been in a, 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 a horrible construction accident. Somewhere between... Brooks and Redcliffe and Vauxhall or Tabor, my dad was in the middle of nowhere putting a bridge in. He was a foreman on a construction site, and um, we're still not sure if the if the um, if it was a mechanical error or a human error. But uh, this this slab of concrete that was about the length of a semi trailer, about yay thick, they were putting it down as a for bridge. And it was just hovering over the ground, probably about just a few feet at most, maybe not even that much. And all of a sudden, it began to swing. And my dad saw it beginning to swing, and so he scampers out of the hole, 
But as he's scampering out of the hole, his foot slips back, and he gets that thing gets pins him, be, thankfully, between the knee and the ankle. They put my dad in a truck, and they start driving towards the nearest uh, hospital. They meet the ambulance. The ambulance takes him to Tabor. They take him in Tabor. The doctors say, we can't do nothing. They airlift him to Calgary. And on the, in that airlift there, they, my mom actually got to travel at that time with them. I don't think they do that now. Um, they land in Calgary, and they were afraid that dad was going to die because of loss of blood and everything else. Thankfully, he didn't. Uh, then they were going to take his leg off, and my dad heard them talking and said, can you try to save it? And they said, we will. We'll try to save it, but we don't think you're going to walk again. We certainly don't think you'll walk, uh, work again. Dad, I think, was 52, 53, somewhere in there at that time. And um, long story short, 18-some months in and out of the hospital, surgery after surgery after surgery. Um, astoundingly, they somehow took those bones that they said was crushed like ice cubes if you threw them up against a brick wall. Somehow they put that back together. It was astounding. And dad not only was able to save his leg, but dad was able to walk again, and dad still is walking, and dad worked again. And, and so George Friesen said, that's a miracle. And I got to admit, that's a miracle. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, Yes, doctors did some incredible work, and I'm grateful for their work, but, but who gave them the ability to do that? But I have that in the back of my mind when I think now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, I think of my dad. I think of physical things. But Paul's talking about something on a completely different stratosphere here. Paul's not praying that way. Paul's praying for something different. And, and as I walk through this, think, think, help me think through this, but I think what Paul's doing is he's praying for two things in, this, in these few verses. There's really one thing, but two, it kind of fleshed out in two, and then he builds upon that, as only Paul can. But he, he's, he's praying for power. Or you might use the word strength. Or you might use the word ability. But in a couple of places, he says in verse uh, um, 16, he says, I'm, I'm praying that God the Father may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. And, and then a little later, he says this, uh, verse 18, that you may have strength or power or ability to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And, and I'm puzzled as I'm reading these prayers this, this summer that Paul, these people would have had physical needs, absolutely, but they had greater needs, Paul believed. And so he begins by saying, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. What's he talking about there? One of my favorite passages, I preached this at my mama's funeral, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just, to, just 
actually, I think it's in chapter 3, where he says, inwardly, we're, we're decaying. I mean, outwardly, we're decaying, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Sorry, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even finding it right now. My brain is on, on um, yeah, verse, chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That, that inner self is the same inner, that's the same expression that Paul is using in, in chapter 3. And he's praying that, that, that they would be strengthened or that they would be given power through his spirit in their inner being. That's how he's praying. And then he says in verse 17, this is why I'm praying that way. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you've been reading Ephesians, Ephesians it starts off and it begins and it talks about how we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And, and that expression keeps coming through. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 is filled with this. And so you're going, Paul, if Christ is already in them, then why are you praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts? through faith. I think it was um, Charles Hodge who said that when it comes to the dwelling of Christ in us, uh, there is a, it, 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 there, it, there, there's a thing called a, a matter of degrees. It, it, it's not static. It shouldn't be static. He, he, there should be a, he's growing in us. There's, a, there's an element of that idea. What does he mean? so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This past week, we've been, as, as um, some of us have been reading through the Scripture chronologically, and this past week is the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king. The Scriptures actually say he was a king. There was none like him after, and there was no king like him before. That means... From God's perspective, he was a better king than King David. And yet he had his problems. We're going to see that later. But Hezekiah, he was the son of a king, Ahaz. Ahaz wasn't so good. Ahaz was a king that, that actually um, took the gods from Damascus and he brought those gods to Jerusalem. He took out the temple stuff out of the the temple and he got rid of that and he brought in the gods of and he began to worship this god and uh, these other gods and basically said forget god who created the heavens and the earth and the god of jacob and and we're going to worship these other gods and he actually then begins to burn one of his sons uh he's doing what the nation of israel they had conquered these people who were doing that Hezekiah comes on his heels, his son comes on his heels, and one of his first acts is he brings the priests together, and he says, consecrate yourselves. And then after they do this for seven days, then he says, I want you to consecrate the temple. I want you to, I want you to clean the, the temple out. And, and the scripture actually says in the ESV, they began to remove the filth. In other words, the idols that were coming out of that temple. The Apostle Paul the church at Corinth 
1 Corinthians. Actually, the church of Corinth is probably a church like the North American church. Weak and uh, many ways uh, fascinated with sexuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is, is talking to that church and he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And he's not talking about individuals here. The language is plural, so he's talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, church in Corinth, he's saying church in Calgary. He's saying Calgary Community Reformed Church and Community Grace, you are the temple of God. And Christ dwells in you. His Spirit dwells in you. And if on Sunday morning you're in church and on Friday night you're with a prostitute, what you are doing is you are bringing filth into the temple of God. What he's saying is if on Sunday morning you're in church and on Monday morning you are gossiping about what's going on in the other people's lives, you are bringing filth into the church of God. He's saying... If on Sunday morning you're in church and on Tuesday you're, 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 you're actively engaging in, in uh, other religions, you are bringing filth into the temple of God. That's, that's how the strong language Paul is using. He's saying the church is now the temple that we saw in the Old Testament. Now a little later, in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, talking about sexual immorality, flee from sexual immorality in verse 18. And then he says in verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. And now he's talking to the individual here. The language and the 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 the, 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 the uh, it's singular. And he's talking to the individuals within the church. And he says, the Spirit of God dwells within you as Christians, as believers. And so when we decide to sin and do our own thing, we're defiling the very temple of God. Now, I don't, I don't think what he means here is don't smoke because your body's a temple of God. I know some have gone that, in that direction. I, I think he's talking about look at her pride, arrogance. Look at what we worship, what we love. Why do I say all of that? Well, I think in Ephesians chapter 3, In Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul says, I pray to the Father that out of His riches He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ, see the Trinity going on here? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
what he's praying is he's saying, I'm praying that Christ would rule and reign in your lives and in your church to such an extent that when people see you, when people encounter you, when people join us as a body, they see that the only thing these people love is Jesus. He's praying that they would look like Christ. Or as he says in Galatians, that Christ would be formed in us. That's how he's praying. And he's praying this way because this is impossible. I I can't muster up my strength and say, I'm going to be more like Jesus. I need the Spirit of God to change this broken guy to become that person. We cannot pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We need the Spirit of God. We need the power of God in order to be like Christ. When you see someone who's godly, who's a saint, and you know it, that's not because they did it. It's because God did amazing work in their life. That would be a greater miracle than my dad walking again and my dad working again when when someone's life is transformed and becomes like Christ. And that's why we as a church, we need to pray. Unless God gets a hold of us and changes us and shapes us, we will just continue to look like the world. That's how Paul prays. He's, he's, constantly, he's constantly praying about what we look like on the inward being. That your love may abound more and more, we learned a few weeks ago, for one another. I'll never forget my mom dying of cancer, and on the her outside she was decaying. It, be, it was becoming incredibly apparent that she was going to die soon. And yes, God could have reached in and healed her at that moment, but then 10 or 15 or 20 years later, she would have died of something else. Because that's what the Scriptures say, we will decay, this, this body will decay. But what was beautiful was I, was I was watching what God was doing on the inside of her. My mama was getting sweeter and sweeter and more beautiful as the days went by. That beauty just, just oozed out of her, even though her body was broken. All the credit was to the Spirit of God who was doing that work in her. Now, my, my mom was willing to be, to be changed and transformed. But when Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, the greater miracle was my mom becoming like Jesus. That's greater than the miracle when my dad began to walk again. And I say this because I think this should shape the way we pray. What's more important? That you go to work tomorrow? Or that inwardly you're being changed? You might go to work tomorrow, but someday you won't go to work. Parents, the greatest gift you can give your children is pray for them. And not just pray that they have a good job and they have a good health and all of those things. Pray that way. I do. 
but pray that out of the riches of the Father's glory, he may grant your children to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. I'm convinced that no matter how good a job I do at parenting, if any of my children love Jesus, it's only because of God's grace. And the older I get, the more I realize I need to be on my knees as Paul was. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Young parents, I know it's, life is busy. But you have no greater job than to be on your knees. Grandparents, I don't think you have a greater job than being on your knees. Church, people of God, we, we need to pray like this for each other. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He prays for power in one, other, in one other area, and it's really strange. In verse 17, he says, so he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, he, he, he just pauses for a minute, and he says, you know what? You guys are rooted and grounded. He's looking back. And, and Paul has said, look at what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So before the foundation of the world, I still don't understand this, God the Father predestined us to adopt us, which is an act of love. He did this in love. Uh, he says in chapter 2, he talks about the love of God. Um, I'll let you, you work away and look at that, but he, he says it there. And he says, you know what? Before the foundation of the earth, you, the church in Ephesus, you guys have been rooted and grounded in love. God has loved you. Now with that in mind, he says in verse 18, he says, he now even may he's pray may ha, that I'm praying that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so Paul's praying that they would be filled with the Spirit so that they can look like Jesus, and now he's praying that they would understand the love of Jesus, which some people have said is four-dimensional. In other words, it's beyond their ability to comprehend. But I'm praying that you comprehend it. That's how Paul prays. In other words, it's impossible for you to understand the love of Christ unless the Spirit of God does something in you. And do we pray like this? I mean, I, I, my prayer life has to change significantly. I'm just going to be flat out blunt and honest. I've got to grow in my prayer like this. I'm so so temporal in my praying. Now, when Paul says, I want you to understand the love of Christ, I don't think he's saying intellectually in your brain you can go, yeah, Jesus loves me because he's done this and he's done this. And I think he's saying that. There has to be, it has to be rooted in history. If Lynn could point at nothing in, in, in our marriage that shows that I love her, then I probably don't love her right you know if it walks like a duck and it 
talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So if Elroy doesn't wash the dishes and help Lynn around the house and take care of her and serve her and all of those things or whatever it takes, then, then I probably really don't love her. No matter what I say. But so it, love has got to be rooted in history. But, but, but love is more than that. Look at chapter 5. I think in chapter 5, Carson is the one who pointed me to this. He, go, he goes, uh, in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit, which is an interesting thing because uh, verse 18, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting because he's already said in chapter 1, you guys have the Spirit. And now in chapter 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's kind of like this thing of degrees again. You, you, you want to be growing in this thing. And then, and then in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If in our marriage I go, yeah, Lynn, I know you love me because, and I start listing off maybe five or six things. Go, let's say we go on a date. And I go, yeah, I know you love me because you did this and you did that and you did this. Yeah, so there's evidence that you love me. What do you think our, what do you think our date's going to look like? This past week, we had the privilege to go, just Lynn and I, this is becoming a new world for us. Uh, Rochelle was too busy for us, so just the two of us left. And we went to Spokane for, for two nights. Uh, drove, took our time to get there. Um, and then Tuesday, we just hung out there together. Tuesday morning, we went on a hike uh, in, in the state park just outside of Spokane. There's these beautiful rock structures in this river. And uh, as we were walking, I forgot something or lost something, or I can't remember what it was. And I just kind of like one of those, you know, my brain stopped working moments. And Lynn looked at me and she says, I love you. And I go, well, if that's all it takes, I'll lose things all the time. <laughs> but, but that wasn't just an intellectual love, right? That was a, when she said that, it was just like, I wanted to sing. You know what I mean, don't you? When Paul prays, he says, when he, Paul the Apostle Paul is praying, and he says, I'm praying that that you'd be able to comprehend what is incomprehensible, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ. He's saying, yeah, I hope you understand what Christ has done for you, and you recognize what he's done in history for you, and you're overwhelmed by that, but, but, but you're overwhelmed that you, you, because you, you just, you're so in love with him, you want to sing. That's what Paul's praying for. And wouldn't it be beautiful Wouldn't it be beautiful if somebody entered into your home and, and then they laughed and they go, those people love Jesus. They know Jesus loves them and they, they, they're overwhelmed by that and they, 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 they just love him in return. And wouldn't it be amazing if 
people entered into the presence of this church on a Sunday morning or whether we were gathering for a cup of coffee or whether we were gathering in a small group and, and people go, these people know the love of God and they're overwhelmed by it and they can't help but sing to him. That's how Paul's praying. And if the Lord does that in our churches, if the Lord does that in our lives, that is something far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. That's more amazing than my dad walking again. And that was amazing. When I pray for Calgary Community Reformed Church and when I pray for community grace, I am now praying this way. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, we are people of clay feet. We are people of cold hearts. We are like the nation of Israel. We tend to love the things that we see more than loving you. Father, I pray that out of the riches of your grace that you would strengthen us with your spirit to become more like Jesus in every way. In every way. And Father, I pray that you would, you would overwhelm us, as the text says, you would overwhelm us with un an understanding of your love that we would sing. <laughs> we couldn't help but sing because we know of your love. And Lord, because of that, we would, as the text says, we would mature. Lord, I can't do that in my life, and I certainly can't do that in the lives of these people. But, Father, you can. And so we ask for that kind of power. A power that would be so countercultural and, and so different that the world would be just like, ah, oh, how does this happen? And we could, we could tell people about you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I again lift up to you, Ree, right now, and I pray that you just, you'd heal her body. And in this moment, Lord, would you Help her to know the love you have for her. That in this moment, would you help her to be empowered and strengthened so that she'd be even more like you. And we pray for healing for that all. And I pray that for each of us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Every, oh, sorry, Matt. <laughs> every week, every. I just did that so Lynn would say she loves me. <laughs> every week we close with communion. And it's not just a thing, a tradition or a ritual that we do or something that makes us right with God. 
there's something beautiful that happens there that I can't explain when we stop and remember what Christ has done. But that's what we're doing. We're, we're pausing to remember what Christ has done, and we're giving him thanks for what he's done. We're thanking him for his incredible love that he allowed his son to die in our place. And we look forward to the day that we'll have that marriage supper with him when all the, the, the hardships will be gone. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian because at some point in your life you've repented of your sins and said, Lord, I'm a rebellious sinner who needs a Savior, forgive me, then you're welcome to join us at the table. If that isn't true of you, then I encourage you to do that right now. Just say, Lord, I'm a rebellious sinner and I forgive me. And run to the table and thank Him. Apostle Paul warns that church in Corinth that we read about that if you've got something against somebody, you ought to deal with it before you come to the table. And so I encourage you to do that. If there's some, somebody you're harboring something against, take care of that first and then come to the table. And if you can't take care of that right now, then, then I encourage you to, you know, just sit, stay where you're at and take care of it this week and next week join us at the table. But come, come together and let's uh, celebrate the Lord. Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you help serve with me? Thank you. Thank you.